Hi, I'm uh, Alex Uma, and welcome to the Sassholes podcast. Not sure what I'm uh, I'm doing here, but uh, you know I've got a, a crispy duck chicken to pick up at the local Chinese grocers. But uh, instead, I'm on the Sassholes podcast, and uh, let's see what happens. Welcome to Sassholes. We are revenue ops with an edge. With decades of making interesting decisions, Jamie, Jason, Marcus, and Pete are dedicated to helping aspiring sales leaders accelerate revenues with our no BS approach to sales leadership strategies and tactics. Our show is supported by viewers and listeners just like you on patreon.com slash sassholes. Brent Keltner's Winalytics Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass. In only eight weeks, help your sales and go-to-market team start to build the mindset and skills needed to succeed in the new buyer environment. Weeks one and three, read the book and learn a new approach through 20 successful company stories. Week four, all go-to-market team kick off and receive self-reflection questions and mindset self-assessment. Weeks five to seven, collaborative sessions with prospecting sales and customer success on the shared journey to a new mindset. Week eight, all go-to-market team presentation and discussion. Winalytics, build the revenue organization you want. Request a free 60-minute growth consultation at winalytics.com. Ask for Brent and say Big Pete sent you. We got some shout outs to do. Melanie Francis, three years at Global Search RC. Maravella, three years at Cultivate Advisors. Peter DeGate, got a new gig, national sales leader at Crossview. Joe Petroselli, promoted to Enterprise Retail Account Director at Salesforce. Ryan Lockwood, got a new gig as Tessitura Manager at Dr. Phillips Center for the Performing Arts. Harrison Smith, Snyder, two years at Five Tran. Ray Sitowski, new gig, Senior Accounts Director at Solution Partner Services. Nathan Gard, five years at Talent Thrive. Nicole Schwabager, one year at Gartner. Angela Malloy, got promoted to Senior Outreach Coordinator at Beyond Booksmart. Natalie Furness, got an additional gig as founding member of Customer Data Automation. Kevin Drolet, four years at KBRO Consulting. Ryan Dishman, two years at Twilio. Alicia Capraro, promoted to Senior Enterprise Solution Consultant at DocuSign. Lorena Morales, got an additional gig as founding member at Customer Data Automation. Amy Freeman, how you doing old school? New gig, licensed associate real estate broker at EXP Realty. Tyler Benson, how you doing, buddy? Got promoted and way to go. Senior sales engineer at Comet Sold. Ed Sweet, promoted to partner at Hydric Struggles. Way to go, Ed. Ian Mays, what's up, Iowa? Got a new gig as enterprise client partner at Mentor Click. Jasmine Wenty, five years of work, Tango. Tony Roy, six years of pop menu. Way to go, old school. Speaking old school, Tim Birmingham got promoted to Senior Customer Success Manager at Verizon. Way to go, buddy. And we got some happy birthdays. Jim Vermillion, Anna Parks, Pat Gleason, Matthew Wagner. Another spin around the sun. <laughs> All right, Alex Fuma, thank you so much for coming on the Sassholes podcast. Yeah, uh, good to be here. I think. Uh, yeah, but, uh, no, I'm, I'm looking looking forward to see where uh, where, where this goes. But uh, good to be on the other side of the the podcast table or microphone, and the pond. Speaking of pond, yes. What is yep. SaaS stock? You got something coming up in May, don't you? We do. We do. We we are hopping the pond. So maybe you can tell uh, by my accent that I am in the UK. Uh, actually, a lot of people think I'm Irish because we have a conference in Dublin, which is in Ireland, uh, if, if people didn't know that. And um, so whenever I speak to people, they just assume that I am in Ireland every time they speak to them. But actually, no, I'm in the UK, but we run SASDOC and SASDOC uh, is the biggest SAS conference in Europe. Uh, and we also, you, you know, uh, have been doing content for eight years for SAS companies and SAS founders, like, including the podcast. And we're bringing Sastock to uh, well uh, to Austin. Uh, we hear it's the hip happening place. Uh, you know, it's got similarish vibes in some senses, but better weather than Dublin. And we're bringing our conference there and looking to grow and scale that out uh, to the size of our Dublin conference and really just add like a ton of value and fun. With Sastock is a, like there's a lot of fun uh, uh, in Sastock. It's not just all the learning uh, and business stuff. And bringing that to Austin and having a great time, great party, and really kind of kicking that off. So that's May 31st to the 2nd of June. And I will be going to Austin for the first time. So a bit of a risk, 
like Ooh. running a conference in a place I've never been to. I, I might eat a lot of barbecue whilst I'm uh, out there and be, you know, a little bit heavier on stage. But it's okay. It's a risk I'm prepared to make. So SaaS stock, you have keynote speakers. You're talking about SaaS, educating. What, yeah. what is SaaS stock? Yeah, good uh, Good question. A good place to start. So uh, SaaS stock, we help SaaS founders grow and scale their businesses. Um, and really, we do that through our conferences, our events, uh, our content uh, or media. So, you know, blogs, podcasts, you know, short form video stuff that we do, YouTube channel. Uh, and then also through uh, lately since 2021, our memberships offering where we are building, and this is the vision, you know, the world's leading support organization for B2B SaaS founders. Our particular niche within SaaS is SaaS founders that are on their journey from zero to 10 million in revenue. That's where we kind of really uh, work best and it's our sweet spot. So anyone really kind of from, you know, uh, pre-revenue all the way through to 10 million and, and we help across the multiple stages of the journey. So our conferences was kind of the first thing that we did was the the conference in Dublin. Uh, well, we did content before that, which led to building an audience, which led to the conference. And we we had 700 founders from 34 countries come to that event in Dublin. Speakers like uh, uh, David Cancel from Drift was there when Drift was probably like Series A or something like that. Uh, I remember he was a little bit uh, bummed, but in a nice, polite way of being on the smaller stage because he flew all the way over from Boston and we put him on the smaller stage and, uh, you, you know, he wanted to be a kind of main stage guy. But uh, I said to him, you got back to us really late. So you got, you got on the, the small stage, but he delivered great content. And we've seen companies like Chargebee, you, you might know or refer to them, you know, uh, sort of subscription billing platform. They were there in the first one, the, the founder, Krish, well, they were Series A as well, you know, kind of like smaller organization, and now they're Series F or something like that. So we've seen, you know, all these companies kind of come through SaaS stock and really kind of grow to, you know, in some cases become public companies uh, and, you know, a whole great, you know, gamut of, uh, I guess, SaaS leaders, entrepreneurs, execs have spoken on the stage uh, and loads of VCs uh, uh, as well. So we've in eight, this is our eighth year, and we've had six conferences in Dublin, uh, the last one was last October, 4,000 uh, attendees from uh, 60-something countries. And we had a two-year hiatus because of this thing called COVID, which really kind of sucked if you were organizing yeah. mass gatherings, which we did. So it kind of didn't work for our our industry. So, Alex, what do you do at SaaStock? I'm the CEO and founder. Um, uh, uh, yeah, so I, I didn't mention that. But, yeah, I founded SaaStock. Love it. Like, uh, my first time as an entrepreneur it has its highs and lows. And, you, you know, I haven't actually got any gray hairs, uh, which is, maybe I don't know, like a good thing. But uh, I have lost a lot of sleep, you know, over the years. And especially, like, 2020 was shit, you know, because of COVID. Yeah, like, yeah. It, like, the business could have died, you know, in that year. We went from 20 people to nine people. Uh, that year and it was all about you know getting survival and steering the ship through which we did uh, so that was definitely the the hardest uh, sort of darkest uh, year for for us but I've, I've made mistakes you know from the get-go as well I mean the first SaaS doc because I didn't you know I'd never run conferences before uh, I think I lost 60,000 pounds on that one and when the, the realization hit me before the event that oh look we're not going to be profitable and I'm in you, you know uh, I'm in the red for 60k uh, and at the conference itself, which went really well, people said to me, like, you you don't look great, you, you know, like, what what's up? And effectively, it's because I, I pretty much had, like, an anxiety attack during the night, not slept, because I was thinking, like, fuck, like, where am I going to get the 60K from? Uh, but um, what I, I didn't do was do nothing. Uh, what I did was just uh, leverage my sales skills to basically, after the event, sell for the next year, and generated 100k like you know almost straight away which covered the shortfall and so from right. a cash perspective you, you know the business model was good and kind of helped me there yeah you're throwing a party and you're praying somebody fucking shows up right how did you start yeah. uh eight years ago were you writing blogs and then you you <clears throat> built it up like how, t tell us about the growth path. yeah yeah it's, it's almost like uh in, in a way I, I fell into it um but I fell into it by design, um, if that makes sense. So basically, I was actually a sales exec at a software company, a Russian software company called Parallels, but they actually positioned as a US-based company because I think they had the HQ in Seattle, Washington, um, but really it was you know, of Russian origin, but I mean, not that it matters. 
Uh, and it was a thousand person company and I was selling their software for three years, um, you know, enterprise uh, software to telcos. I was kind of, I got to 30, uh, the, the age 30, and was just thinking, you know, what am I going to do the rest of my life? And am I ever going to do this entrepreneurial thing? But I didn't know what it was at that point. And in my 20s, I had so many entrepreneurial ideas, but I never had the drive, never acted on them. And then I was like, this is my moment. Like, what am I going to do? Without knowing, I just pushed, pushed myself outside my comfort zone. Uh, and I decided to start a blog. And I thought, I'll do a blog on SaaS because I'm selling cloud computing software. Um, but actually very quickly realized limitations there that, you, you know, I've never written a blog before. Uh, and therefore, ergo, I must be probably not a good writer. I mean, I'm not sure whether that um, is true if you've never written a blog before. But in, in general, I was not a very good writer. And also writing a blog on SaaS, I'd never run a SaaS business uh, and I wasn't, you know, really in a, in a SaaS business. So what did I know about SaaS? So I thought these are quite, you know, two, two strong limitations here and destined for failure. But actually, I turned those big limitations on their head to make them strengths. Uh, and what I did basically promoted myself or moved myself into the editor role. Uh, and I convinced other people that knew what they were talking about to write content for uh, what was called Sascribe. And they bought into the why because they wanted to help other people, but it also gave them a platform outside of their own writing blogs. Um, and we started creating content and I was kind of churning out five pieces a week. And then after three months, we were getting 30,000 visitors a month. And, you know, it's kind of like it had some good traction there and people emailing me and enjoying what we were doing. Uh, and then I thought I'd start a podcast to supplement it. Never done a podcast in my life at that point. Uh, I shit myself on the first podcast, like uh, pretty, like not literally, but uh, uh, figuratively there. And um, yeah, I was just kind of like, you know, very nervous. And I was speaking, my first one was Mark Roberge, you know, who's the CRO of HubSpot yeah. at the time. And he had a book out and I was like, I still know nothing really about SaaS or not much. And I'm interviewing Mark Roberge and it's kind of, you know, you have that imposter syndrome when some you're speaking to, you know, somebody that's built a company and their revenue uh, teams to hundred million. And I got them on the podcast, but I, I got through that. Um, and from there, you know, kind of build up the podcast, still doing it eight years later. Um, so one of the OGs in the, the, the B2B podcast space and in the SaaS space, um, and really enjoying that, hopefully getting better at my craft. Um, and yeah, that, that was kind of it. And then we built the audience from the blog and the podcast. And then I started doing some meetups. And then the, the audience told me like, hey, we want a conference in Europe. You, you know, why don't you do it? And you seem to be doing, you know, the blog and the podcast and you've done some meetups. You seem to be the guy that's probably most likely. I was like, never run a conference in my life. You know, what the fuck do I know about like running conferences, right? I knew nothing. Um, and the added layer of complexity was that my partner was six months pregnant and she'd given up. So she was a freelancer in TV. So her her income was gone. So I only had the income, the salaried income from Parallels at the time. Uh, but then I, I really had that entrepreneurial kind of like drive to say, this is my moment. So I told my partner, giving up my uh, job, I'm giving up the only income that we have to go all in. And this thing called Sastock, and she said, "Why don't you wait two years?" And I was like, "If I wait, it's never going to happen. Somebody else will do it, or I'll, I won't, right. you know, have that same drive." And then rest was kind of history. Uh, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of history in between that, but that that was kind of the founding story, right? When I got started. Your background on selling, we had Brian Elsesser from Saster on, and we were talking about uh, throwing an event, and everybody wants leads. <laughs> What's the value that you're selling? Because people are going to say, well, I'm going to give out these, you know, marketing forms or email yeah. address, account email addresses. And the business that they get from that, I mean, it's like a uh, speed dating for uh, people with money and people that want money. Yeah. You know, it's, it's hard to put a value on that. What is the value that you're selling when, you, when you're going out there? Because you got to get the sponsorships, then you got to put yeah. up, you know, the money to ho hold the place. And then you yep. got to give value to the people that gave you money. So how, how do you exactly. do that? Yeah, yeah, uh, good question. So basically, we've got two customers, right? Uh, I would say there could be a third with with the VC side. But if I focus just more on the the, the SaaS companies, and uh, basically our, our profile is you know the founder, uh, and then we've got you know probably uh, somebody in marketing, right? Uh, and on the founder side, and this, these are the attendees uh, in general that are coming to the conference. What do they want? They want to meet other founders, right? They want that peer-to-peer -peer support. 
They want to, you know, make, you know, feel like they're not the only ones in the world that are going through these things and learn from others, uh, you, you know, and have, you know, share war stories and have these conversations in the, you know, in the corridors of the conference room, also in the pubs of Dublin, you know, over several pints of Guinness, right? They want to learn. They're kind of mainly learning and networking and some come for all business development opportunities. But I think the learning and networking is the main kind of focus for the founders, right? So, so we help them around that with the great content that we put on across the multiple stages and the fact that we're bringing thousands of you know people like them into one you know one roof and one city for a few days so that that's the value proposition for for them you, you know let's say the SaaS companies that sponsor it uh, and they exhibit at the conference what do they want uh, brand awareness but mostly leads it's mostly leads right um you know and thought leadership uh, as as well right so they kind of want these these three things brand awareness quite difficult to manage um uh, you know measure uh, but, uh, you know, if they have a, you know, let's say typically like a series A company in Europe, um, in, in the instance with the Dublin conference, you know, raise 20 million, they're not well known. They sell to SaaS companies. They come to SaaS stock, raise some awareness for them, their company, their founder. Right. Uh, and, and we see that a lot. Uh, they also, uh, in generally, you know, want to get leads and they'll, they'll measure the ROI of the conference based on the amount of qualified leads, some marketing qualified leads, sales qualified leads, and then how many conversions, you know, how many converted to customers as well. And it's not cheap, right? I mean, we're talking about, uh, you know, pricing starting at 30,000 euros, right? All the way up to, you know, 500K, right? Um, so it's it's a, a niche conference with a great quality audience, but the marketers who are investing, you know, in some uh, in SaaS stock or other conferences, really need to know that they're going to get ROI from this. And some take a little bit of a bet, and there's a bit of a risk. But also, we've got great retention. So, you know, the likes of Charge B, uh, Chart Mogul, Profitwell, which is now Paddle, but even Paddle as well, have been with us, you know, for six, seven years, and year over year, they renew and they grow their, you, you know, partnership with us, and and, and therefore their spend. Um, and you, you know, in in some cases, four or five deals from the uh, you know hundreds of leads that they'll get will pay for the sponsorship, you know, and then some. Um, so yeah, we get that. And you, you know, the first <clears throat> the first customers were actually uh, Chart Mogul was the first one, and I met their CEO at Web Summit in Dublin in 2015. And we had a conversation in person. He knew me from the blog. So there was already some bit of credibility there and you know, a bit of authority. Um, I had a conversation. I said, I'm going to do this conference in Europe. If, uh, if I did it, you know, you sell to SaaS companies, you know, would you sponsor? He said, yes. Within a month, you know, I had the website up. I had the venue confirmed. I went back to him. You said, and I said, you said you would sponsor this. Like I've, 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 you know, put up a web page, and you know, I've got a date in the diary, uh, and and they were the first partner. And then, uh, funnily enough, the the second partner was Profitwell, their competitor, uh, the um, uh, who obviously saw that chart mogul was sponsoring. And then Patrick Campbell, you know, called me, and then we did a deal on Christmas Eve, uh, which um, you, you know, I, I wanted to relax on Christmas Eve, but I had to do a deal with Patrick Campbell. But you know, it's all good. Um, and yeah, that gave me, you, you know, more runway, right, to to kind of run the business because it was customer funded, uh, you know, at the time. So this is your your first event is coming up in Austin, right, in the U.S. Um, yeah. Are, does that mean most of your client base right now is EMEA and 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 you're trying to expand in North America? There's some in North America. No, I mean, like I, I mean, I probably should know this, but I, I don't know the the exact split. Yes, are we trying to expand in North America? A hundred percent. Um, a lot of our client base are US based, uh, certainly from the exhibitors side of things. So companies like CapChase or FounderPath, um, Velocity Global, you know, a lot of like the companies that exhibit with us, Outreach, ZoomInfo, et cetera, you, you, you get the picture. They're all based in the US and largely they sponsor the uh, Dublin conference because they're expanding into Europe because they're looking at that geo and they, they want leads from that conference. But then the benefit for us is now we have these uh, customers and these partnerships with these companies, you know, in many cases of several years, and they don't only operate in Europe. And then they have different teams with different budgets in North America or South America or Asia Pac or whatever. Uh, but in this case, we're going to the US and then we can speak to the same customer uh, and say, hey, Capchase, like we're also doing a conference in the US and we're doing it on the 31st of May to the 2nd of June. Are you interested? Uh, and then, you know, uh, more often than not, they say yes, and you know, send over the details, and then they sign up for that. 
but um, we obviously want to grow the, the the customer base beyond you know existing customers, uh, and this is a you know an opportunity for us for for new logos coming in you know from the partnership side and building new relationships. And in some cases, these companies might be Series A or whatever. And when they get to Series D, and if we retain them, they may then come to the Dublin conference and you know grow and expand. Um, you, you know their ACV with us by you know uh, supporting across multiple uh, uh, events. So with the um, you know you're dealing with SaaS companies, startup SaaS companies. What um, with the economy? What are the big trends that you're seeing now? And what what do you think is going to happen in the next six to twelve months or even further? What are your yeah yeah your, we're not going to hold you accountable. I mean, yeah, you're no, one of the plan listeners on this. Well, call. how do you how do you build a recession proof team? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, exactly. exactly. But uh, I mean, obviously, I can talk to it. You know, um, from some of my experience and obviously what I'm seeing. Uh, and yes, like, uh, please don't uh, uh, take what I say for uh, gospel. And I, I don't quite have a, a crystal ball. But uh, let, let me just say a little bit from my my experience. So what we are seeing with our customers. Um, you, you know, we we actually uh, were obviously like many companies quite concerned about like we're going into a, you know a year with a lot of doom and gloom. Uh, everybody's talking about recession. There's all these layoffs happening, right? What, what does that mean, you know, for us? What do we need to do, uh, you know, as a business? And um, how is that going to impact our customers? And what what you, you know are they going to renew with us and, and so on and so forth? So obviously, from our side, you know, we are you, you know looking, you know, being cautious around managing costs and you know investment and not scaling up too uh too fast with um you know hiring uh but we are effectively a bootstrap business and we've been running our business you know like uh, like a bootstrap business so we're pretty capital efficient you know profitable we're not going crazy and hiring people for 12 months that you know in 12 months time that we don't you know now that we need for 12 months time uh and so we've not needed needed to kind of make any layoffs or kind of major changes to the plan and actually our plan for this year has an ambitious 60% growth on on revenue uh, and part of that is because we're expanding internationally uh you know as well and the growth on the Dublin event and our uh, international expansion um and uh, yeah so when we we're speaking to our customers in Q4 um a lot of them and some of them we took them out for lunch some we just kind of you, you know we're speaking to on the phone or email uh they were all doing their budgets in Q4 and Q1 right uh, and they're all obviously then looking at what's happening in the market and speaking to their CFOs and seeing what they do. And uh, we were told that, you know, in some instances, they had like three plans, right? One was, a, you know, go big kind of plan. One was a let's go for growth. And one was, okay, we really need to be kind of cautious and like really kind of limit anything that we do kind of this year. And what we've found is most of our customers are kind of sitting in the middle. They're, they're not going for their like, let's, you know, go all out for growth this year, because I mean, it would be pretty kind of tone deaf, uh, you know, if if they did that. Um, and uh, they're, going, they're being a bit more cautious. So what we're seeing is that they're, a lot of them are kind of matching their spend or maybe slightly increasing their spend with us from last year. But they, they were saying to us that they wanted to go bigger. But because of the market, you, you know, they're, they're not going that much, uh, that much bigger. So they are renewing. Uh, which is good, uh, and we actually had a record quarter uh, last quarter for Q4, um, uh, which was good. So you know, it's given us a bit of peace of mind, and and also January is turning out to be you know strong for us as well. So actually, we're seeing for us that the market in SaaS in the the the, the space where we play is actually still pretty healthy. Everybody is being cautious and not going uh, clearly not going to kind of too crazy with their uh, certainly conference spend. Um, so it, it's kind of good news for us. We're, we're, I think the where the challenges lie is obviously some of the public companies, their valuations have been massively hit, and therefore that you know they've kind of drastically reduced you, you know uh, a lot of their spend on you know some of the events that they're they're doing. Um, and um, we 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 don't have a lot of those you, you know uh, as customers. And I think in in the instance and like happy to say this like let's say like uh, like Zoom Info for instance, um, you know was a customer of ours last year. Um, you know, this year uh, in 2023, they're not re renewing with us uh, for the moment, based simply on the fact of you, you, you know what's happening, you know, kind of in the in the public markets. So um, that's like in terms of the impact to our business, like we we are uh, still getting a lot of existing and new business. It still seems pretty positive. Nobody's going crazy on the spend, even though it's kind of not cheap. We're hearing things like uh, from one company. Uh, they did something like 124 events last year, 
uh, and now they've cut it down to 50 and we are one of those 50. So significant cuts in, you know, the amount, but we're seen as a, you know, a core or key event, and, um, uh, you, you know, that that's kind of good uh, for us. And I think testament to, to, to us, uh, uh, as well. One thing that we're doing, we're seeing, you, you know, you talk about recession proof businesses, um, some, we, we did a documentary we saw on our YouTube channel about how to build re- recession proof revenue teams together with a company called sales room. Um, and we filmed that at Sasok in Dublin last October. Um, and we've taken some of these kind of lessons, you, you know, uh, certainly on board, uh, things like uh, time to close rate, right. Looking at that, uh, and just kind of making sure, um, you, you know, what we call, I guess, kind of like our, our sales to like velocity here that we're, we're really trying to keep a quick sales cycle kind of going, you, you know, once we've got the inbound lead, once we've you know got the meeting that we are, you, you, you know, not take you, uh, letting this deal kind of stagnate, you know, letting it run over a one or two month kind of period, but really kind of, you know, moving it forward uh, and, and doing what we can, uh, you know, around that. Um, we're also uh, uh, freeing up and we've been reading a lot uh, about this. And mostly my uh, my MD, Will, has sort of been telling me about this, that he's been reading about it. Um, uh, so I'll give him the kind of credit, but about like uh, taking away things from the sales team that, you, you know, are preventing them from selling um, and things that they might not uh, be good at, might not enjoy. So for instance, like um, we've got a sales guy who is our top sales guy. He's managing a couple of people. He doesn't really enjoy doing that. I think it's fine to kind of say, um, you, you know, a lot of the admin stuff, like, you know, strategy stuff, like not super keen on what he's great at is meetings, converting those meetings. So we're taking away the stuff that he doesn't like to do you just focus on sales and bringing in revenue, right? Uh, and we're, we're kind of taking those responsibilities. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of early days yet, but uh, again, hopefully that will kind of help him do even better than he is at the moment. Another just quick an- anecdote about what other companies are, are, are doing, and this was kind of shared with me yesterday. Uh, I can't remember the name, big, uh, you know, big SaaS company. Um, their leadership team apparently are having uh, end of day, like sales huddles uh, every day with their sales team and like, what have we done today? What are the numbers? You, you know, what are the stocks, you know, et cetera. So the leadership team getting involved on a daily basis with their revenue teams. Couldn't that backfire? I mean, there's, there's so much, um, I, I find sometimes people give uh, too much criticism and not enough praise. Yep. When you have a daily huddle like that with leaders, all the leaders feel like they need to, interject themselves and give the give an opinion yeah and just sit back and give an applause like yeah we've got to do more of hey great effort let's keep going rather than oh you should have done this you should have done that and i feel like sometimes the daily huddle might do that i mean i know a lot of people are cracking down on expenses especially yep. you know you, you hammer a little bit too much on a 20 dollar lunch might sound like that 20 dollars is going to make you go bankrupt like you yep. gotta you gotta work a little bit on your uh on how you're portraying yourselves because some of these people on the front lines don't know the situation in the back and are thinking and, and read into what you say or how you yeah, yeah no hundred percent it could. I, I guess ultimately it's up to the leadership in how they're delivering that meeting. And obviously that's not something I can speak to, but if they are uh let's say having that balance or you you know, in terms of like praising and, and you know, showing the examples of uh, you, you know the good work. I fear if the I fear if the leaders are all um, jumping on a call every single day. I feel like that might be portrayed by the reps as one micromanagement, two as panic. Yeah, right? like I, I really feel like I, I don't know, Peter. How would you feel if you were well, if, if you're doing something out of the ordinary? Up? It's panic. If it's part of a, a routine and it's part of the process, you know, then it's fine. But if you change you know, that, or if you change that and become part of the process because of the economy, I, I think it, I think if you get rid of the uh, cadence calls, that could be a plus. Yeah. You mean the forecast calls? <laughs> yeah, the forecast. I calls. hate forecast calls. I'm over ha- the entire forecast call here. In your business, you don't have that, do you, Alex? Or does the sales manager, you know, say, "Hey, man, uh, how much do you project to come in?" What's next your week? commit? What's your commit? Yeah. Tell me what your yeah, commit. Yeah. No, no, like no, so. Uh, I mean, I I don't run that. We our sales managers report into our RMD, and obviously we're running you know the sales pipeline through uh, HubSpot, 
I, I believe they do weekly, uh, you know, kind of forecast, updating the sales forecast. Like we do need to know, uh, you know, like what are the deals that they are, uh, you know, um, uh, forecasting to uh, come in and, you know, uh, committing as best as they they can based on kind of like weighted scores. And, you know, it's something that I think works, uh, you know, pretty well uh, for us. Obviously, we do then kind of question uh, a lot their their sales forecast. So I don't, why don't you like it? And what's, tell, tell me. Um, why don't I like the forecast call? Because yeah. it's a bunch of people guessing and... Um... <laughs> And they're really, you know, a lot of times it's posturing to save their job or save getting screamed at. The reality is a person in the background can forecast just as well by looking at different metrics and historical performances. And and all they need to know is some of the big deals. I don't need to have a weekly call that tells me that that's story time. Um, story time. Um, I just, I can have a weekly call that's a check-in and look at the data and say, help, a meeting was missed last week. Is that a... Red flag, yes or no? No? Okay, move on. You hit your meeting last week with the client that you said you were going to hit? I don't need to talk about it. I don't need to know what's going on in that account every yeah. single week. Talk about micromanagement and a waste of time. Forecast calls yeah. are the waste of time. Sorry, I'll get off my soapbox now. I think they I think they work for a number of businesses, but uh, it, 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 it's uh, I respect your, your, your opinion. <laughs> yeah, I'm very even strong. Though even though it's wrong, Jamie. Even though it's wrong. It's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, Alex, you brought up uh, HubSpot. I'm sure you've seen what's going on with Salesforce. I don't know if you want to comment on it. You think they're starting to figure things out now? Who's looking better now? Uh, yeah, Larry, yeah. Larry Ellison or Benioff? Yeah, 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 exactly. So, um, well, look, I mean, uh, HubSpot, so we use the platform. Um, I think, obviously, they, they've moved from being, you know, known as just like the inbound kind of marketing platform to actually figuring out, you know, the CRM space and then just having a really great integrated sales and marketing uh, platform. And and for us, that was a key uh, decision that we didn't want to have like multiple kind of platforms whilst Salesforce is kind of, you know, was, let's say, the, the um, you know, best in class and uh, certainly market leader within CRM to have a Salesforce Wait, you deployment. Said, you said was. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. like, okay, I, good. I, I, All I, right. I, I, they're the market leader for sure, right? Uh, but like HubSpot, I think are definitely kind of e eating their lunch and you know, kind of coming in from so the types of organizations that are at the size that let's say that Sastock is. Also, like HubSpot is, you know, I think just kind of like much more for affordable, easier to de to deploy. Not you know super easy, but it's easier to deploy. I think you know perhaps as a more kind of like modern, you know, UI and user experience. Uh, um, so the caveat is that we we've never used you know Salesforce kind of CRM, but uh, and I know they've had updates to UI UX, but you you do hear of like uh, you know a lot of companies saying well it's super feature rich, but it's not you know as easy to kind of use, and the UI UX is not the best with Salesforce, right? And I'm kind of putting it uh, nice politely there. They might partner with Sastock uh, again at one point in the future. Um, uh, we, we'll see. But um, yeah, HubSpot seems to be doing well. Uh, you know, as a business is growing. Uh, Salesforce is growing, but they they they're mi missing targets. You know, kind of off uh, off late, and they got problems. I think in the the leadership sort of like department, the co CEO has left. A lot of like big leadership names have left. I think I've been reading some stuff about you know the the board has been rejigging, and you know some people are saying has Benioff kind of like lost it a little bit. You know, he's kind of. Uh, uh, I, I can't remember. He got some like um, can't remember the name. Like some, he was seeking uh, advice. From Will I am and some other people like that, and they were like, <laughs> you know, what is the guy <laughs> doing? Like, you, you know, yeah. you know, a, bit, a little bit worried about Benioff right now. Is he okay? Are you okay, hun? As the, they say, like uh, in England. But um, look, I mean, he's built an incredible business. It's the 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 kind of uh, the poster child or man or whatever you know for SaaS. Uh, and you know, keeping up the the growth rates that they have over the year yeah. and whatever it is, very difficult to do. Um, but yeah, just right now, I think HubSpot seems to be on fire, and Salesforce seems to have a lot of lot of issues. Um, so, but, so it was DocuSign, Salesforce. What do you think's next? I, I'm not sure is the answer. Like, uh, uh, what what's next? I mean, what what we are uh, what we are seeing, let's say from let's say the companies that are like having kind of real issues, is generally. Those that uh, in COVID um, really just kind of like raised shit ton of money, benefited from uh, COVID, but had no plan post COVID, right? And, and it, I, so in some ways, I'm really kind of like dumbfounded uh, by 
some of this, right? Because um, there are a number of companies, let's say like Hopin for, for once, right? It raised 400 million uh, or, or maybe more, got to a valuation of five and a half billion, got some of the best VCs, you, you know, in the world on their board and on their cap table. And there was not really a good enough plan post COVID. And people had to kind of realize that COVID was going to end at some point and that there needs to be a kind of like post COVID strategy. Uh, and there wasn't a good enough one. They just kind of thought, well, well, like people will still like virtual events and it will still keep going, but that just didn't happen. Right. And I think we're, uh, I'm just surprised and I, I can't, um, on the spot i can't remember there's like a bunch of companies where it's kind of like similar experience maybe shopify i'm not sure but like as an example where yeah, yeah. these guys just did tremendously well and like oh shit like life post covid is not the same and you you know uh, this is why we're, we're having to um you, you you know kind of uh like cut everybody and you, you know make all these kind of changes and uh effectively like you, you know the business these businesses you know could die right so yeah surprised to see that well, Elon Musk came out, uh, scared the shit out of everybody. I don't know if he had any motives, you know, behind that, but cash preservation is key. You're throwing an event, uh, you know, just like software, people want a good deal. So you give them a good deal by committing for a number of years. Are you going to have people crapping out? How do you recommend going about that? Or you're not in that boat? Last year, we had two customers that, you, you know, because the, the, the recession has been talked about, I think since like May last year, right? And Sequoia came out with their their deck or whatever to their portfolio companies. That was kind of, you know, this is only supposed to be for the portfolio companies, but happens to go viral somehow. Um, since then, it's been a topic of conversation. And I think like all of these uh, SaaS companies that are quite not yet uh, profitable, um, had really then started to think about okay, we've got to make some you know uh, difficult choices here, um, really to kind of you know uh, get to be much more capital efficient business. And what we found, we we had I think it was only two deals for the last uh, conference in Dublin, where uh, they said, look, we want to move uh, this um, partnership to 2023. Right. So we experienced that and we did that. And and actually, in this case, we had the cash in the bank. They didn't ask for the money back and they said, well, can we move it to next year? So they kind of move it, you, you know, in their financial statements to an investment for 2023. Um, and now for, for this year, everybody that we, we've signed up for 2023 so far is obviously fully aware of what's happening in the uh, you know, market environment. And they are being cautious, but they are spending uh, kind of with us. And they're signing contracts, you know, with some, you know, protection, uh, you know, around it. Um, but I feel, although I, again, I don't know that a lot of them are very, you know, well-known, healthy companies. But you know, on the face of it, uh, I, I don't see what, what's going on, you know, um, uh, within their P and L, uh, and that we should be fine because these feel like they're companies that are not at risk. Um, but you never know, uh, like uh, what happens uh, in, in this game. But I think in general we should be fine. And I think the strong events, the events with big brand names, and you mentioned Sasta, and I think us and Web Summit, like we'll always find. If, if one customer kind of pulls out, we'll find another one. You know, and it'll be a shame to see them go. But uh, you, you know, still, I think the, the 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 market size is 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 very good. The demand is is high. So yeah, like last year was a record year for us, and this year we're going for sixty percent growth. And you know, fingers crossed, we uh, we get there. What are the multiples now, guys? Uh, you know, I won't hold anybody to it, but uh, you know, this you're going to have this event in May, and yeah, you know, want to buy, want to buy, want to buy. What the, the numbers have kind of dropped, so I hear. Carney, you got any thoughts? And then Alex, you can follow up. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I would say half to start. I mean, the multiples right before um, 2022 were anywhere from, I saw as high as 70 times earnings on these startups. Um, I think it with the inflation and cash not being out there and a, and a more focus on EBITDA or cash EBITDA, um, <clears throat> a lot of these firms were growing by bringing, uh, uh, hiring a lot of reps 
um, with very little territories and losing a ton of money in that process. And so I think there's going to be a huge pivot and overcorrection that's been going on. A lot of these startups have been rearranging their sales teams to be a little bit more focused and, and give them enough chances to win. Um, and then, um, you know, but I think the valuations are probably cut in half. Are you seeing anything like that out there, Alex? Well, I, I think, hearing. yeah, I mean, like in some cases more, um, uh, one example, but this is this is real extreme. And I was reading about this the 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 other day. So they're not quite, I would say, B two B SaaS, but um, you know, Bolt, the kind of one click payment company. Uh, I can't remember the name of the founder, um, but they uh, raised uh, what was it? I think it, it was so. It was the multiple was three hundred and sixty seven times revenue. So they were at thirty million, and they were valued at like eleven or twelve billion. Right? It's fucking a joke, right? It's, uh, absolute crazy. And that those are the crazy times of COVID, and that's why we've got a big market correction because people were doing deals like that, right? Uh, and it, it's just you know who who knows what people were smoking, uh, you know, back then. But the the you know now we're, we're now it's much more sensible. Uh, and actually, I think just for um, I would say like a, a, a non kind of real like market leading company probably looking at, you know, maybe like five to eight times forward revenue, something like that. Uh, whereas, you, you know, for a non-market leading company, it could have been, you, you know, 10 to 20 X, uh, uh, let's say like, you know, more than a year ago. Um, Profitwell, uh, you know, for instance, Patrick Campbell, uh, I don't know if you have, you've had him on the show, but, you know, he's spoken no. at, uh, he's spoken at all the SaaS dot conferences pretty much. And he bootstrapped that business to about, and this is unconfirmed, 25 million ARR. A lot, large part of that was services and you know a bit of SaaS. They were acquired for 20, 200 million. Uh, it went through the transaction like deal done, I think like in April uh, uh, 2022. So just before the market crashed, right? So he's getting a, um, what is that? You know, it's kind of 10X uh, 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 revenue uh, there. And had it been a few months later, you know, could have been uh, significantly uh, less, but 200 million, like fair play bootstrapping. Well, one of the biggest bootstrapping deals, certainly that I'm, I'm aware of. So uh, he, he he did that deal at the right time because uh, had he done it a couple of months later, like it, it wouldn't have been as much. So, so Alex, that's got to be pretty good for you. If the multiples are down, you would think a lot of the money guys want to come out and get, get some deals. So maybe it's the opposite for you. It, right. it, it is good. It is good. So in, at this, like a lot of VCs are, are, are getting better terms, right? Um, they're, they're investing at better rates, um, uh, which is good for them. And the same on the M&A side, right? Um, you, you know, they're, again, it's uh, uh, it, it, it's it's quite good, I think, you know, in terms of what we're, we're seeing in the activity. But yeah, in general, you, you know, for the founders and how we can help them, you know, through these times, you, you know, uh, there's a lot of education, uh, that we can help about, you know, building your businesses, you know, running them through a recession and growing through a recession uh, without, you, you know, uh, too much kind of focusing on, you know, let's say doom and gloom, um, but really kind of helping people and founders around capital and connecting them with, you know, the right investors, whether it's BVCs or revenue-based financing companies like FounderPath or CapChase. The people that are succeeding in this are going to succeed in this out of all the investments. A lot of VCs, from what I'm hearing, there's a bunch of VCs that are are struggling because they uh, they may have uh, outstretched their own cash um, to investing companies that they're not going to get the money back from anytime soon. The PE firms, once again, I think are going to reign supreme here because they've always gone in and bought with a lot of discipline, rigor, and it's all about getting down to the cash and cash EBITDA for the most part. I think the PE firms are going to excel while the VC firms, I feel are some are going to struggle a lot. The rule of 40 is about um, revenue growth and profitability margins, but it really comes down to the, I think the key components are GRR, NRR, and ARR. If you're growing your ARR at 40% and retaining it at uh, above 80, uh, above 90%, you're almost at the rule of 40. And, and that means um, you're almost in the flywheel type of uh, area in terms of startup growth and investors will come and you'll get a big exit. If you're struggling at 
any three of those pillars, NRR, GRR, or ARR. Do you use, what are those three acronyms, Carney? ARR is annual uh, recurring revenue. GRR is gross recurring revenue. So what that takes into, con- or gross retention uh, revenue, what that takes into consideration is how many, uh, what was the ARR a year ago to the ARR today, um, but it doesn't take into account expansions. So um, it, it just looks and says, uh, are these people still here? And then NRR takes into account expansions. So are your current client base expand? Are they are are they expanding? So the way I look at it is, what's your current annual revenue? Are they renewing or retaining? Are you able to retain them at a good clip? And hopefully, are they expanding? So if your NRR is, you know, eighty percent, but your GRR is. 90% and your ARR is growing at 20%. What that's really saying is you're going up, but over the long haul, your the, your clients are, re, are, are retracting. They might be staying with you, but they're not staying with you at the same um, pace. So you need all of those to be higher. So is, it, so is rule of 40, is that a new thing or is that just a, something? No, that's, that's always been there. I, it's I, always I, been there? I've... I mean, I haven't called it the rule of 40, but uh, that that's really... I know rule of 72. The rule of 72 is what we are used to, but the rule of 40 is purely... Like, I think those are the three driving components of the rule of 40. It really okay. comes down to how can you get to, you know, a, a, prof, a, a profitable EBITDA. And the only way you can do that is by acquiring um, your clients and expanding on them at a healthy clip. Uh, Alex, what is the SaaS stock uh, founder uh, membership? Yeah, so th- this was, uh, 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 let's say, something that was born out, out of actually the, the the COVID years. So when our, uh, when we had to kind of pivot to virtual events uh, only, we saw that um, something was kind of lacking, you, you know, from what generally our, our founders get from SaaS stock. And what was lacking was that, you know, founders getting together uh, you know, and sharing, supporting each other and sharing, you know, stories, the highs, the lows, the mistakes, et cetera. You didn't really, it didn't really replicate on virtual events. Um, so we spoke to our customers uh, and we had a look at like, how can we design something that will provide this value uh, to you? And then uh, from that, from all the customer development work that we did, uh, uh, we came up with the, this idea that, we, you know, we were in a good position, um, you know, to build support organization for for b2b SaaS founders uh and and thus we created the SaaS founder membership launched that in may 2021 um the aim there is uh, you know initially for us to get and help a thousand uh, SaaS founders get to 10 million in revenue so that's part of our our objective uh, and mission there and, and how do we do that we create uh you know these curated mastermind groups uh for SaaS founders to come together uh, to be with one each other, you know, support each other, uh, help, you know, share best practices and advice. Uh, then we're building out a private network of SaaS CEOs that are on their journey to 10 million uh, ARR and connecting each other uh, and then running specific education events, uh, you know, uh, uh, around that uh, as well. So we do like, you know, monthly online kind of workshops, but we also do, uh, which I quite like uh, the most, uh, these um, in-person retreats, where last year we took 30 founders to the Amalfi Coast in Italy for two days. It was really hard two days of drinking wine, uh, eating lots of pasta uh, in the sunny Amalfi Coast in Italy. Um, and we we had a great time, uh, as you can imagine. Lots of limoncello as well. But I think like for me, like one part I really love about my job, apart from these you know, exotic locations sometimes, Dublin less so, Austin maybe, you know, Amalfi Coast um, uh, uh, definitely – uh, and we're going to Mykonos in May with 40 founders. But I just love hanging out with founders. I mean, I'm a founder myself, but not running a SaaS business. And to spend two days with a bunch of entrepreneurs shooting the shit, talking about business, you know, sharing problems, et cetera, and generally knowing that what we're doing uh, and in in simplicity, like, like I think I described the Dublin event, where, hey, we just, you know, we find a venue, we, we bring everyone together and the magic happens. It is a bit like that, you know, we, we like pick a date in the calendar, pick a lovely location, get people together and the magic just happens, right? And uh, 
uh, I, I just really enjoy that part of, uh, of you know of, of my job. Sometimes I get um, a little bit of stick from uh, uh, my, my my partner Gemma, where it's like um, you know oh I you know I have to go to Mykonos or I have to go here or whatever or I was out for dinner with founders, you know at a really nice restaurant. But it but it's my work, it's my job, right? And I I, I love doing it, and it just happens to be fun and the thing that I really enjoy doing. Um, so, but yeah, back to the SaaS.founder founder membership, we're just, you know, you know, making it a less lonely job for founders, uh, um, you know, on their journey to 10 million ARR. So if anybody's interested, you know, go to the SaaS website, SaaS.founder founder membership, uh, check it out. Um, you, you know, if you, uh, if you want to get to 10 million in revenue, like I know through, from doing 340 podcasts, maybe 341, that from everybody that I've interviewed, uh, nobody's figured it out themselves. They've always got support, help them get there. One example, again, it, it, it surprises me, but maybe it shouldn't. Like Goddard Abel, the CEO of G2, right? He's a three three or four-time entrepreneur. He's had two exits, one to Salesforce, one to somewhere else. I can't remember. But the exits have almost been almost been a billion dollars worth, uh, you know, across those two. G2 is over $100 million in revenue. And Goddard Abel is still part of support groups, you know, builds a support network infrastructure because he wants to get better. He doesn't know everything, even though he's had all this success. I would have thought if I was him, you know, with with my uh, inexperience that once I'm at Goddard Able kind of level, I don't need to go to these monthly, you know, kind of meetups and talk to other founders. But actually, you know, it turns out that, that there's still a lot of value in that, right? So if, if you're even at that earlier stage and you're a first-time founder, you, you know, it, it's definitely something that you need. And so, we're just trying to build the world's best version of that for B2B SaaS founders. And um, yeah, something I'm super passionate about uh, at the moment. Alex Diuba, CEO, SaaS stock, CEO and founder. Thank you for coming on the SaaS podcast. Thanks. It's uh, It's been a pleasure to hang out with you two SaaS <laughs> You are an honorary SaaS Alex. As Thanks. Now, yes. Our show is supported by viewers and listeners just like you on patreon.com slash sassholes. Brent Keltner's Winalytics Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass. In only eight weeks, help your sales and go-to-market team start to build the mindset and skills needed to succeed in the new buyer environment. Weeks one and three, read the book and learn a new approach through 20 successful company stories. Week four, all go-to-market team kick off and receive self-reflection questions and mindset self-assessment weeks five to seven collaborative sessions with prospecting sales and customer success on the shared journey to a new mindset week eight all go-to-market team presentation and discussion winalytics build the revenue organization you want request a free 60-minute growth consultation at winalytics.com ask for brett and say big pete sent you